Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so glad you're with us today. You know, we've been seeing on Seek Reality in recent weeks that the veil between worlds has been noticeably thinning over the past century, but we really can see it now. It's becoming ever easier for those that we used to think were dead to communicate with their loved ones on Earth and even to carry on intense, close and loving relationships long after the illusion of death has and seem to cut them off. It doesn't anymore at all, and that's a beautiful thing. And especially for earthly lovers, that ongoing tie can be especially strong. And surprisingly, often now, love can continue right to death, the death of the second partner. We've lately had Ward Barker as a guest. If You might look, we'll look him up again. Ward is communicating so easily with his wonderful wife, Sue, long after her death, that he's filling notebooks with what she says to him. And what she says to him is so real and so useful. And I've spent my life studying this that I'm, I'm sending him questions and we'll have him back so she can answer our questions about what it's like in the lower levels. I mean, we also have Mikey Morgan who will be with us soon. But Mikey's at the sixth level. And I think Sue has a very refreshing, very humble, wonderfully accurate um, way to depict the afterlife. It's quite, quite beautiful. So therefore, we already know, and I remember also that we very recently had Paula Lenz here, and she's still in contact with her brother who died decades and decades ago. All of this is wonderful, and, and today we have someone else, and this is a beautiful, beautiful story. Our guest is someone who joyously loves through the veil even now, and her, her beloved died a decade ago. Karen Frances McCarthy lost her fiancé in 2010 and then to her amazement he came and found her she began this adventure as an atheist she had psychic gifts but she said was been had been suppressing them all her life and her lover reached out to her from where he is now and today she has a beautiful and intense ongoing relationship with him through the veil it's quite amazing karen is an author a public speaker and a spiritualist medium she discovered her mediumistic abilities in the process, really discovered them in the process of learning to communicate with Johan. Earlier in her career, this is, this is amazing. I've never known somebody else who's done this. She was a major media political journalist and war correspondent. Oh, my God. Now she focuses primarily on writing and speaking about spirituality and the existential beliefs we all have, including the belief system surrounding death, dying, and the afterlife. Karen is an exponent of writing for mindfulness and for spiritual transformation, which is another field we haven't really talked about here yet. She contributes to a number of metaphysical, spiritual, and healing and bereavement magazines, media outlets where people can go and, to learn, and learn some of the stuff she knows now. Karen holds three certificates of recognition in media 
healing and public speaking from the Spiritualist National Union, or what me, most people know more, more about is the Arthur Findlay College in London. That's where she trained, so she's had a wonderful education in this field. Karen is currently researching a PhD in contemporary ghost literature, and she's working on a new nonfiction book about the weird world of science and spirituality. Wow, I want to see what she does with that. Karen is here today to talk about her second book. I love the title. It's called Till Death Don't Us Part, A True Story of Awakening to Love After Life. I loved this book. Karen, welcome. Thank you, Roberta. It's lovely to be here. Your book reads like a good novel, and that's a big compliment because I read a lot of people of these books that people have written, and especially people who aren't familiar with, with how to write and how to build drama and all of that. It can be a little bit of a slog sometimes, but your book was very easy. It reads like candy because you, you picked out the details and not sure in the beginning that you were really going to learn the things you needed to learn to, to, to reconnect with Jan. It was a, mm-hmm. it was a very good book. Oh, thank you. And I have to tell you, too, that a lot of what you describe, everything really that you describe, is, is described by others. I mean, some of these, these um, events that happened seem to be unbelievable, but they're all right in the literature. So that really mm-hmm. makes your book seem more real because experts know that those things happen all the time. It's perfectly believable. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get into the book, I'd like to... A little bit more about your prior career as a an atheistic war correspondent. My goodness! Yeah. <laughs> Tell us well, um, yeah, I was. I, mean, I was pretty much, you know, I, I was raised. I grew up in Ireland, and I was raised Catholic, and I went to Catholic school, and I had the nuns until I was seventeen. At which point, I just, as soon as I left school, I just that was it. I was done, and I sat down my mother, and I said, "I'm done. I'm never going to mass again. I'm never, you know." And I was, I was over it and i was i was that way for the rest all the way up until um i i kind of found my way into zen at one point um later sort of in, in, a bit later in life like 20 years of atheism but the, you know the thing about zen roberta is that it's a non-theistic religion so there's no god there's no afterlife yes. there's no any of this um and it's very much and i think um you know, it comes up in the book as well. It's very much about how we live right now in the present, how we become mindful, how we live fully in the moment. And I had practiced Zen for, oh, I'd say a good 10 years uh, before Johan passed. And it's it, it kind of heavily influenced the philosophy of Zen, sort of, I think, heavily influenced my outlook. Um and as I say, it's kind of non-theistic. It's not a religion in the sense that we understand religion. You know, it's really more of a philosophy. But so that was really the 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 only part of any kind of philosophy I had other than and other than that, I really had no belief system at all. And I have to be honest, I was arrogant enough in those days to think that anybody who believed in God had to be delusional, you know, which you, you kind yes. of then then life sets you on a path where you realize you just kind of wake up one day. Um, I was, a, you know, I had been working. Uh, I had always really been writing even since even when I was 16, 17, I was kind of writing for the local newspaper and stuff. Um, and then I went off. I actually uh, worked in a tra- I came to America and um, worked in a traveling circus first 
for a couple of years. <laughs> she had travelled around America with Travelling Circus straight out of college. A master's degree, to my mother's horror. Yeah, I, sure. I, I graduated with a master's degree and then joined Travelling Circus. Um, yeah, and then went out to LA and worked in the movie business and television. I think I we mentioned I worked with Deepak Chopra, one of my first couple of documentaries I did out there. And, and then eventually sort of found my way after a spell in TV back to um, journalism, which really had been my first love. And I just started pitching and contributing and writing. I actually went back to the London School of Journalism um, just to do some some proper training. And, you know, I just started writing again. And when, you know, the Iraq war happened, you know, I was just so curious as to what was going on over there that I convinced my editor to let me go over and send back some stories of what he called you go over there and get the worms I view. So I was an embedded I was embedded with a, a couple of different units in Iraq, in Baghdad and Bakuba, which was a bit of a hotbed at the time. And wow. uh, yeah, and spent a sort of a summer there and just kind of traipsing around. But but it's you know, it's no joke. It's really no joke. Um, at all uh, when you're over there it sounds like you know oh what an adventure but oh my god it was it was pretty brutal it was really pretty brutal yeah but so so but then then you met Johan and my impression of him when he was still in a body Mm -hmm. is that he was I mean he he wasn't he didn't didn't tell you he loved you the way you would want. He wasn't a romantic guy. He no. he was divorced. He had he he had a child, and he seems mm. to have been not a happy person, really. Um, yeah, very complicated character. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, but very handsome character. Yes, solid blonde, all of that. He was yeah. German, um, which yeah. which figures also into into the book. But but so here we have a man, and what? How old was he? Was he when when he when he literally almost died almost immediately when yeah, he 41. had the event? Yeah, forty one. Right, forty one. So he's a mm. young man, mm. and and he's not a spiritual man. He's not. No, no, a, no. He's, he's, he's a difficult man. He, uh, yeah. Some woman didn't want him anymore, but you fell very much in love with him. That, that was very clear, um, yeah. you know, that you were in love with him, but, and you had just gotten engaged and yeah. then you got the word that he had died and you had no right even to like be part of the funeral or anything. No. Right. I mean, no. yeah. To, to read about your grief and how you handle it is really you know, heart wrenching, but I think it's almost cathartic for people who are in grief too to see that somebody else went through what you went through. I mean, you mm. really. Um, but then, almost immediately, he was sending you signs. Talk about the signs. Well, you know, uh, the first third of the book is about um, all of these odd things that were were going on, which you know, at the time, as you know, I didn't think there were signs. I didn't know what the hell sign <laughs> was. I look, look. I'm trying to point at them and you're just ignoring them. Lord. Ignoring them. Yeah, because, you know, I had no, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that um, and I think this happens to quite a lot of people because I do think it's very common that loved ones do try to communicate, yes. you know, when they've passed. And um, and I think my response was the kind of typical, cynical, skeptical response um, of somebody who all sorts of 
you know, you know, in the book, I describe um, the bed creaking, moving, the little footprints on the on the duvet, you know, two dimensional black figures sort of just appearing and standing in front of me, you know, things tugging on my hair. I mean, we really weren't talking about, you know, seeing a robin or a rainbow or a penny or any of these kinds of but things. But you've got butterflies. Yeah, I got but I got the butterflies in a very sarcastic way, which was why it kind of made sense to me that it was him, you know, which, as you know, because, you know, the lovely professor, Lou Legrand, who wrote a lovely book as well, had said, oh, you know, he might send you a butterfly. And I just balked at that. And I was like, are you out of your mind? There is no way he would do something that delicate, you know, so, you know, and with that, um, there was butterfly or hundreds of butterflies crashing into me landing on me all sorts of things that it was that kind of he had that you know he was such an intelligent man and such a creative man and that was the sort of sarcasm that spoke to me you know it was like yeah so that's how that made sense to me ultimately. but he said you cigarette smoke too i mean you always sort of said oh this is somebody else smoking but that's a yeah. If if someone dies who's a smoker, it's a very very common for them to very send common. whatever yeah. their cigarette smoke, um, what, you know, choice is. Apparently, it even yeah. smells, smells like the same whatever they smoked. So yeah. that you got that. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't buy it. I was looking out the window to see if somebody yeah, was smoking downstairs. And yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to say, look, that's yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, my friend. Lives? Sorry, my friend, um, a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours. You know, I eventually um, told her all of this stuff was going on. And, you know, because, as you know, like I was initially I was thinking this is grief and I'm I've gone out of my mind. I've had some kind of breakdown, you know, with with all this crazy stuff happening. It must be it must be the grief, you know, which I couldn't understand because I'm quite a strong minded individual and I couldn't understand. And I didn't feel crazy. I didn't feel like I had breakdown. don't feel crazy so therefore it's one yeah. of the signs you might be if you don't feel crazy yeah, I guess. yeah exactly yeah so you know <laughs> i was like i don't feel mad but but i don't feel like i've had a breakdown but there's no real other explanation for this stuff um but my you know our, a mutual friend of ours when i told her all of this stuff had been going on um and then i said to her you know i spoke to professor lula grand and he was he had written a book on signs and apparently this is something that happens, you know. Um, yes. I was I was still trying to come to terms with it. And she said like pennies and feathers and clouds and rainbows and robins. Yeah. And, and she said, you're not getting signs, you're getting burning bushes, you know, and, and it's true. <laughs> it's, it's like you say, it was like this, the stuff that was going on was really um so physical and so present and so inexplicable that actually, ironically, it was a Catholic priest who first told me, oh, no, you're not nuts. That's quite common. Our loved ones do leave a sign on their way out. And it's happened to a lot of people. And that was kind of stopped me in my tracks. You know, the Catholic priest would had said that. Yes, that was he was unusually enlightened, I must say. I do. I do think so. Yeah. So you were beginning to see that he must be giving you signs and you started to hear his voice in your mind. And um, I, for, for a time, um, it was OK, but then you, he's, you felt you weren't getting him the same way. You had, you, 
And there was a time when you said something which I thought was very important, and I wrote it down. Eventually, mm. you told Johan that you hated him. You said, yes. I hate you for dying. I hate you for giving us no time. I mm. hate you for assuming. I knew you loved me because now I need to hear the words. I hate you for showing me you survived and then leaving me again. Mm. And you added in the book that you weren't only angry that he had died, angry at the universe, but you were angry with him for dying. Yeah. <laughs> You say, but those words weren't the whole truth. I missed him. I missed him in every moment, in every word, in every conversation, every perfunctory exchange that feigned functionality when life was a churning stomach and a headache and an endless horror. Oh, my goodness. Mm. That is that is so amazing. You were going through hell. You really were. Mm. Yeah. Well, when I. How did you get out of that? Talk about how you get out of that feeling. Well, yeah, I think that's a process. Um, and I think it's important to honor that process, actually. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of people think that when you start getting signs or whatnot, or you start getting these communications, that that's supposed to sort of spring you from your grief. But you still have to grieve because the person, you know, the relationship, the sort of between the veil, the interdimensional relationship is very different from a physical relationship. The way you interact is different. The way you live is different. Everything is different. And it really was a matter of learning how to be in this relationship in this new way. And all of the ways it had been were gone. The, the physicality was gone. Yes. You know, the, 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 the spontaneity was gone. The, the, the wit, the banter, all of these things. Were, it's all gone, you know, and... and the, the shared bills, you know, paying the all of that's yeah. gone. So that has to be grieved. So the just because you are aware of your loved one's presence, or because you, you can communicate directly with them, depending on you know who, who, whatever way or, or level of communication you have with somebody, you still have to grieve, um, and that still has to be honoured because there was still a loss. And so what I really, all I did was just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, I mean, some days I never got out of bed, but for the most part, it was just a matter of putting one foot in front of the other, just trying to get through today. And sometimes that's all you can do is just, you know, I think my friend Sarah called me up at one point and she said, what do you do? You just, you need to get up. You need to wash your face. You need to get up. Right. Because some days that's all you can do. And you just if that's all you can do, you just do it. And you just go a step at a time. And I think that a lot of people kind of get into a bit of trouble because either they're going to mediums or they're they understand this and they accept this, which took me forever to accept that this commun- form of communication is possible and then feel like they shouldn't be grieving or you know, because the person's still there or you've got the pressure of society and culture, which is, you know, oh, you you grieve something you get over and isn't a time and and people will give you a shoulder for a certain length of time. But that runs out. Yes. And then they think, oh, you're supposed to. And uh, and what happens is, is you're still grieving, but everybody's had enough of it and they've all disappeared Um, because there's only so much other people can take as well. But the grieving process is a long time. And there's this myth that, oh, it takes a year. No, it doesn't. It takes as long as it takes. Right. That's right. That's totally right. mm. 
You know, and the other thing about grief as well is, is that, you know, it's, it's becomes part of you. You don't ever get over it. You learn to live with it and you learn to live in a different way. And it fades, the pain of it fades. But it does change you because your life doesn't go back to the way it was when your loved one was here. It becomes something new. And so I, I believe you can't, you incorporate grief into your life and into your system. And, and I think actually at the end of the day, it can actually really help, I've noticed, um, help you live with more t- tolerance and compassion for having been in such pain. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. But you you began to, as you allowed it to happen, and that's how it looked to me, you, you began to hear his voice in your mind, um, often speaking German, which yeah. sometimes it was quite quite distinctive um to to hear someone speaking german in your mind you know it's not your own thoughts i think that's part of part of it um it's not something you you because you didn't really speak german but what first convinced you that you know you're not crazy johan is still alive and he still loves you what made you first understand that oh it was the hundred butterflies crashing into me <laughs> okay but just you know because Yes. Yeah, because, you know, Dr. Legrand had said, oh, maybe I'll send you a butterfly. And I completely poo it. And I was like, not a chance in hell. I would never, if, if a butterfly fluttered along around me, I would never associate that with him. That would be so out of character for him. And the minute I said that, butterflies start following me everywhere and bumping into me. And I mean, and, and I was, it took me a long time to realize that there was hundreds of butterflies everywhere I went. And then finally, I was like, good night. This, there are so suddenly there are so many yes. butterflies everywhere. And the penny <laughs> still didn't drop, you know, um, right. until until eventually I said, wait, hang on a second. And I, I still didn't believe even any of this was true necessarily. And I, I, well, I actually don't want to give this away because it's a big turning point in the book. But it really was, I began to see his, he was such a sarcastic, he had such a sarcastic, dry sense of humor <laughs> that that was so characteristic of him um, to say, what, you think I won't send you a butterfly? Watch this. Yeah, yes. You know? <laughs> They're hitting you in the head. But- and that's when I realized, yeah. But he also, when he came to understand how much you needed to know he loved you, he became very, very romantic. That was quite beautiful to read, that, that he, he got it. He really got yes. how important that was to you. I mean, in a sense, what we're doing here is watching two people who had been very steeped in life and were not spiritual at all, were not um, you know, never mind religious at all. They that that had not been part of your lives, but together, you helped one another to become spiritual, and that brought you closer together. Is that wrong for me to say that? Because that's what it looked like to me. No, I think that's absolutely right. And I actually even to take it even a step further than that. Um, what happened was this process reawakened a mediumistic faculty that I had had as a child that had dismissed by the time I reached 13, 14, you know, um, and then just went away. But it reawakened that faculty. And, you know, you had said earlier, you know, after I realized he was still here and sending signs, he then disappeared. And that was the whole process of 
um, follow of trying to figure that out and then understanding was he, I was he hadn't disappeared. I was just still looking outside for signs, for stuff, yes. for whatever. Yes, and right. That had exactly. all stopped. And what was happening was he was trying to get me to turn inward and listen inward. And when I finally got that, that's when the mediumistic faculty just popped yes. on. Other other people started coming in. Yeah. So yeah. So I think it was a step further than just being spiritually aware or awakened or aware of there's a greater consciousness or whatever. I think that it also was the the relationship is what triggered the mediumship, which allows me now help other people. Yes, um, which we, and we'll talk about that too, what it is that you're able to do for other people, but certainly going to the Arthur Finley School is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So uh, good for you for, for doing that. Yeah, but, great place. Uh, all right, and, and eventually you were able to trust in, that he was he was in you he was within you and you you tried then to become closer and closer to him and that was quite beautiful to see as well um to talk about that talk about how he seemed to unfold inside you in a way uh yeah it was kind of more you know i i refer to Thich Khan used to call this interbeing well at least i think that's what he was talking about really when he yes. was talking about interbeing uh, a lot of things that a lot of spiritual and religious leaders said, over the, you know, over the years started to make sense to me. I mean, even the teachings of Jesus started to make sense to me in a way that they had never done when yes. I was in, in Catholic school. Um, but I do feel that, um, I, you know, in trying to just when I started realizing we share thoughts and that he can hear my thoughts and he can pop words in and this and the other. Yes. Um, I started realizing that, oh, the nature of the relationship, you know, people always say, oh, they're up there, or they're over there, or they're in there, or they're through yes. something or other, you know. And the truth is, is they're actually present, occupying the same space and time. And that was something that, that I began to realize. And I thought, well, if we're occupying the same space and time, we can blend together in the same space and time. And I started trying to really be able to reach uh, they call it the spiritualists call it the power of the spirit being able to sort of access your own power to be able to expand in a way to to blend in that way and you know of course I was trying it and I thought oh my god that was just fantastic it would be like two seconds I'd have this two seconds of feeling so blended atom for atom like we were in exactly the same space and time together you know um and I thought, how fantastic is that? Like, you know, for all of two or three seconds, and I'm so I'm psyched, you know. And, and he's saying like, that's what this is like the minimum amount of intimacy we can have. And and so I kind of started off then trying to just work on my own, um, I suppose, spiritual nature, my own um, presence and mindfulness, and you know, and I sort of in a way almost returned to Zen to, to a large degrees because that's really where I learned a lot of that and um, to try to just be so present in the moment from second to second even and yeah and tried a number of occasions to to really sort of be able to try to hold the power of of his presence as well but it took a lot of practice and it took a lot of time Um, but I kind of got there in the end you know but powerful powerful feeling and and I, I wish other people could experience it because it makes me think, my goodness, if that's what it's like to blend with one person, what would it be like to blend with God or to blend with eternity or all things or just to feel yes. that 
essential oneness with all things. Can you imagine the mind-blowing power of that and unbelievable experience? Yes. Well, so what sort of relationship do you have now? Is he is he all around you as much now, or has he does he go off and play and do other things? What 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 sort of well, relationship do you have? I think um, you know I don't think anyone sort of comes and goes. I think that our concepts of space and time are something that we have learned in phys- in our physical beings, and we know right. that we know that there is actually no such thing as space and time. Um, That's right. And so, you know, so it's really more, it's more of like an awareness. If I turn my attention or awareness to him, I immediately feel his presence. You know, yes, if, um, yes. you know, if I'm sleeping, sometimes I'll sort of have wake up and I can feel his presence as I'm sleeping. I think it's easier for, I'm quieter then. And it's yes. easier for him to really step in and, and be very present in those moments. And that there's a great amount of power in that. So I wouldn't say that he's it's like he's around or he's not around. I, I don't think that's really the issue. I think it's really more of like, are we are we are we thinking of each other? Or is the, you know, the minute I turn, yes. myself, I'm feeling. Yes. You know, yes. And, exactly. and I think I've said this in the book, even that I think sometimes we think that we are thinking of our loved ones. Because suddenly we're just sort of sitting there and we're peeling potatoes or something. And then all of a sudden, like you, a memory of your mother or your father or somebody, your granny or yes. somebody pops into your mind. And you think, that's so strange. I was just peeling potatoes and I've just had this funny memories just popped into my mind of when I was of yes. my grandmother when we were six. And I what I realized in all of this is that in, in a lot of these cases, it's not that I remembered something about my grandmother when, when I just happened to be peeling, doing a completely unrelated task. It's that my grandmother has just yes. thought of me and yes. I'm aware now of her thinking of me. And I hear this a lot from people. I don't out of the blue. I just thought of so and so I haven't thought about it in years. And I thought, no, you didn't think of them. They thought of you and you felt their thought. Yeah, I, I think that that's certainly true. Um, some people have the, the kind of relationship that you seem to have with him. Many people that I know actually have with their spirit guides now, which is mm. something else that's new. I mean, nobody even understood they had spirit guides, but of course we all do. Mm. And um, and the same thing is that that's the same kind of relationship I have with my guide. If I think of him, he's I realize he's instantly right there, and I even know where he is. Mm. But I'll. I'll go a long time and not think of him. And he's very patient and he just mm. shows up instantly whenever I want him. So, mm. so that's, I, he's surely is part of your guidance team. I'm sure he's, he's part of your guidance. Well, he certainly helps me. I mean, since he, since he passed, my aunt, my mother, my father, another very close friend of mine also have passed. And so, you know, I hear from them a lot as well. I mean, my mother, mothers are great for this. You know, you, you're just minding your own business and all of a sudden your mother chimes in, you know, because like that's what mothers do. And so my mother is, again, never. I mean, I, I've actually gone to ask my mother a question. And before I've even finished the sentence, the answer has popped in my has come to me clear, clear, very clear, like from my mother, you know. Um, Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. But, you know, the other thing about that, Roberta, that's interesting is. I think what it does is when you start realizing that there's always somebody listening to your whispers. Yeah. I think your first, my, you know, your first thought is, oh, my God, you know, I have no secrets. I've no, everybody knows <laughs> everything right. about me. Right. Because it's like, oh, right. no, they can hear all those nasty little thoughts and nasty little things that I do that I'd never admit to anybody. 
But in a way, it's kind of liberating, I've realized, because when there are no secrets and when there are no shadows and when you know that the people who love you can see you warts and all and unconditionally accept you, it's powerfully liberating. It is. It is. No, um, but we, we, I think it's hard for us when we're used to thinking that there's a part of us we can hide. It is hard to suddenly realize that you've never been able to hide a blessed thing. And no. to be that <laughs> naked internally even yeah. is, is something to get used to. I, I recall vividly when I first realized all that. I started to talk about cleaning up the living room because – People are there all the time. You just didn't mm. know it. So mm. you you make your the as much as you can. You mm. you try to clean up your entertainment. You clean up your your what you're thinking about, and, and not because I mean I I think we, we we all are good people. We're not thinking awful things, but it's just that you get sloppy in the way you handle yourself internally, and you stop mm. being sloppy when you know that um, not you know your loved ones. God, it's all open. There's no, there's mm. no possible. You know what helps? I found it helped to to envision my, my the top of my head to be wide open mm. all the time, because mm. then I had to keep it tidy. This mm. is years ago that I had this problem, but I I tell you, it really is hard in the beginning, and I'm sure it was for mm. you as well to realize all of that. Yeah, well, I mean, we live in a society where we're in a perpetual state of being judged and criticized yes. and not being enough or not being slim enough or smart enough or whatever enough. And so we kind of internalize a lot of that sort of shame and sense of inadequacy because just the way the world we live in is. Yes. And all of a sudden then you suddenly realize is that the people who can see every single cell in your body, every single thought, every single everything – the people who really know everything about you, your deep, dark self, all the, the shadowy stuff that you don't ever want anyone to know because oh, they right. think you were an appalling person. <laughs> right. this, this entire dimension of beings are aware of that and don't judge you. And it's, it's a very unusual but very uh, sort of awakened state to realize if they don't judge me, why am I doing it? That's you know, right. It, it, it's so freeing when you really get it. You're you're so yeah. right. Mm. Do, do you have thoughts for people who are listening, maybe lost a loved one or they have one who's sick and they would like this kind of relationship with them, too? Do you have ideas for them? Because you're psychic. It's clear to me that Ward Barkifer, who was recently with us and communicates with his wife very well, he's also got talents. But some people don't. don't don't know they have psychic abilities well, how would you recommend that people reach out to their loved ones if they would like this kind of relationship well i think everybody to some degree has some kind of psychic or mediumistic faculty um it may not necessarily be that you can just kind of turn it on for strangers to strangers at a moment's notice but everybody has i mean psychism is really just intuition and it's really just a matter of a lot of it, honestly, is trust. And a, a lot of it is trusting your, yourself and your own intuition, trusting that the other person is there. Because the thing is, is the minute you start running around the house looking for pennies, you kind of miss the point. You know, is <laughs> yes. that you don't. That's you true. just have to be patient. You have to be open. You have to be willing to trust your loved ones that they love you. And you need to be tr willing to trust yourself and your own intuition. Um, because the minute you start trying to 
get somewhere or find something or accomplish something or achieve something, you're gone, you've gone out in this sort of linear way. And I say this to my students all the time. This sort of development is not a linear development. This is not academia. This is an inner process and it's a process of deepening. So you're always looking inward. So I would say if anyone wanted sort of to develop their own sensitivity and learn to trust their intuition, that they just start to really stop criticizing themselves, stop dismissing things that may or may not be something for one thing. The other thing that's immensely helpful is meditation. You have to be able to be present. That's so important. And the more you can sit and meditate, the more you can trust, the more you can, you really can work on just developing your own connection to yourself, your own connection to God or whatever you want to call your, your word for God is, um, and to your, your understanding that we're all part of this consciousness. The more you can kind of sort of step into that stream in the moment, the more sensitive you can become. And the more sensitive you become, the more you are receptive to the communication your loved ones trying to share. Great. That's that's wonderful. And and you yourself are a medium at this point working for the public. Yeah. So um, the website, everyone, is KarenFrancisMedium.com. We'll put it in the community, uh, the notes with, with this podcast so you will not have to drive off the road as you try to write it down. <laughs> um, but but um, you, you, who, who might in particular choose you as a medium? What kinds of people are, do you feel you're most able to help? Um, well, I, I tend to, I mean, it really anybody can kind of come along. But, I mean, really, I'm, I'm sort of the sort of person who I, I try to be very progressive about it. I'm, because I'm a writer, I tend to I tend to I've noticed in my mediumship and in, is the character of the loved ones seem to come through very vividly. You know, and I think this is part yes. of be, being a writer, all the nuances and the complexities of their character kind of come in, which I quite enjoy. You know, I, I don't. I try to really look at mediumship more as a sort of telling somebody's story than just sort of rattling off a list of facts. You know, he had blue eyes and he had this ring and he had a, you know, a oh, yeah, and, right. you know, this kind of thing. And to really sort of bring the character, because I feel like when you can bring the complexities of the character and the memories and the little habits and all this kind of thing, then people can really feel the presence of, and lots of people have told me this, they can feel the presence there. Um, you know, and, and I've had this, I've been on the receiving end of that, where I've, I've sat and listened to people, and they've rattled off a whole bunch of facts, say, from my mother, about my mother. And at the end of it, I'm like, great, that was a whole bunch of actual, factual evidence, and I didn't feel the presence of my mother for one, one second in that. Oh, yeah. And so I do like to work with people who are open to just really trying to feel the presence of their loved one there. And are just open to the experience. I mean, every so often you come across somebody who's you can tell has been to too many mediums or too many psychics and they come in with their arms crossed and they want I want 20 facts. Yes, yes, yes. That's not the person for me. I'm really I'm really more of a story. I really try to share the person's story and just get out and just allow them speak and kind of get out of the way and just, you know, so somebody's coming who walks in with 20 questions you know, yeah. they're then determining the conversation, how this conversation is going to unfold. And their poor loved one who's who's trying to get a message to them doesn't have a chance to get a word in edgeways. So I try to just give them the loved one in spirit form, um, you know, enough details to identify who it is, 
but then just kind of step aside and then let everything come um, from them and let them determine what it is they want to say to their loved ones. Because that's where some of the most powerful messages are. Because sometimes people hear things that they didn't know they needed to hear, but their loved one knows they needed to hear it. Right. Yeah, and it's actually a collaborative uh, process um, when, when you're a medium and you're helping people to connect with their with their loved ones. It's it's not it's not in other words just between the two of you and you're and you're giving um, information. It's all three of you really need to be working together and receptive. Um, yeah, that's where the word the word comes from. Mediums they mediate. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's true. That's exactly right. Mediate conversation. Karen, what do you want people to take away from today? Uh, what I what I think is very important is I think a lot of a lot of people uh, feel very alone and very agree- bereaved uh, after their loved one dies, and they hear all these stories about I should be seeing pennies or feathers or this that and the other. And one thing I would like people to know is that if your loved one is not the kind of person who would do that when they were here, they're not going to do it there either. They're going to be showing you signs that you understand, that you recognize. So it's important to trust your loved one. They will know better than anybody what you need, and they will be going out of their way to try to help you. And so trust them and trust yourself and your intuition. And as far as the grieving process, what I would like to say to people is, it is going to last for as long as it lasts and it will become, it doesn't go away. You don't get over it. It becomes part of who you are, but in a very seasoning and maturing way and compassionate way, you're not always in pain, but your grief will tend to last longer than other people's patience for it. So if you're, if you're struggling with it, find a support group, you know, but 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 do know that you're never alone. That's important for people to understand. You're never alone. Whether you're aware of your loved one or not, they are aware of you, you know, and they are finding ways to help you or guide you. And sometimes it's not you're not even aware of it. Sometimes they could pop a thought into your head. You could be sitting there ruminating and confused and not knowing what to do about something. And then you can like, just kind of suddenly get a moment of clarity and you think, oh, that's great. Now I know what to do. Well, there's a very, very good chance. I would say in most cases, what's happened there is your loved one has shared a thought, helped direct your thoughts to help you. And this happens all the time. People don't realize that that's their loved ones actually helping them on their path. That's right. You know, absolutely right. Very, very important. And the other thing I would like to say, particularly for spouses, and I bet you anything in the comments on this broadcast, everybody will say they've had this experience. For for spouses um, who are left or partners who are left, uh, it's amazing how many people say, oh, you'll meet somebody else. I bet you everybody listening yeah. who's lost everybody their sight, assumes that. Yep. they will have heard somebody or multiple people have said to them, oh, you'll get over, you'll meet somebody else, you'll meet somebody else. And the truth is, is that how is that helpful? You know, first of all, when you're grieving, you don't need to be hearing things like that. Second of all, if you are ready to meet somebody else, you don't need to be told that. 
And thirdly, you may never want to meet somebody else. You may just want to stay with the memory of your loved one or with the experience of your loved one or to work on your current relationship, interdimensional relationship with your loved one and be quite happy with that. I love that. Interdimensional relationship with your loved one. What a great term. You know, but people think, you know, oh, no. And I think especially for women, they think, oh, no, you need a husband. I mean, it's just amazingly archaic in the 21st century that people think that, you know, oh, your husband died. Oh, well, you need to find another one. Says who? If you want to find another husband, your loved one will be will give you their blessing. And if you don't, you don't. And you don't owe anybody an explanation. But I cannot tell you the amount of times people would say, or you'll get over it and meet somebody else. Yes. And then people start telling me, why don't you write another book about how he helped you meet somebody else? And I was like, why would I do that? Yeah. I mean, it's just this assumption people have, and it's it causes a lot of stress and a lot of distress. And I would just say to anybody, if, they, if their husband has passed the spirit world and they don't want to meet somebody else or they just want to be in that relationship or they're not, just take care of yourself and do what you need that's to do. That's right. Do what do feels not, right to you. Yep. Totally. Do not need to listen to this from other people. Yeah. This is such a historic time. More and more people are going to be having the kind of experience you've had and developing that kind of relationship. And they may decide that's perfectly, that's what, that's what they need in this life. This, mm. this person was someone that they loved and chose when they were both in the physical. And there's no reason that can't go on forever. So, mm-hmm. I heartily second that. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that we've come to the end of our time because this is really fun. I've so much enjoyed meeting you. Thank you. It's been lovely being here as well and chatting about these subjects. Everybody, this is, of course, Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm very glad you could be with us today. Isn't this been fun? Please never forget that you are a powerful eternal being you never began and you never will end and when you really get what that means it's going to change everything everything in your life for the better next week our guest will be jill thomas she'll be here for the second time jill is a talented hypnotherapist the last time she was here we talked about her book which is called tales from the trance the strange the sad and the solvable basically her practice in hypnotherapy next week we're going to be talking about her past life regression therapy now this is something we've talked about with others but she has she has a lot of things to say about it and she wants to talk too about the current covid crisis many people um have asked me when i'm we're going to talk about covid and i thought never because frankly people are listening sometimes years after we first recorded this this is going to be old news very soon But she has some ideas about how it's affecting people now and how it's helping us to learn how to better prepare for the next emergencies. And she's going to share those with us. Jill Thomas was a crowd favorite the last time she was with us. So please be sure to join us again next week. And, of course, our guest today has been Karen Francis McCarthy. Her second book was published by the wonderful British publisher. I can't say enough good about them. White Crow Books. Karen's book is called Till Death Don't Us Part, A True Story of Awakening to Love After Life. This is a love story, and it's a true love story. We all have our warts. We all are imperfect. And here are two people who were just just basically bumbling through their lives. They, they were, I don't know whether he was an atheist, but Karen was. And this happened to them, this, this awful immediate separation. 
And they came together, and in finding one another through the veil, they really found themselves as well. It's just a beautiful love story. I loved reading it. I Sometimes a, a book I'm reading will feel like candy, and I'll, I'll want to talk to the author just to say, you know, this is, you've done a great thing with this. I think it's a very, very good book. I, highly, I really highly recommend it. And I've said, as I've said, this is gigantic news, the fact that more and more people are able to maintain this kind of relationship and enhance it and transform it through the veil. This couldn't have happened 20, 30, 50 years ago. This is happening now. And it's going to be looked back historically. At, 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 at We're going to look back at this time as a wonderful moment when all of this opened up and began to happen. So the fact watching Karen transform, Watching Johan transform and watching the wonderful relationship they had develop is a beautiful thing. Very real, very beautiful love story. The fact that all of us love people that we don't want to lose is something very important, which we are now going to be able to remedy. And I can't begin to tell you how excited I am to watch this happen. The best love stories Celebrate what is really eternal love. And all of us have eternal loves right now that we don't even realize are watching over us and caring for us. We're going to be in contact with them. It's going to be amazing. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, a bunch of fun books. And soon, very soon, we'll be starting to talk about the fun of loving Jesus, embracing the Christianity that Jesus taught. For children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus, which is a picture book. All of these books can be ordered through bookstores or on Amazon. And um, the children's books um, are, of course, not audiobooks, but all the, the adult books are. If you want to talk about any of my books or anything at all, please just contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email. I'm excited to have you with us today. I look forward eagerly to talking with you next week. But meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely, infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.